My name's Mel Herbert, and he's Tom Wolfson. We're going to be talking about the cars, the batteries, the solar panel, the stock price, the man, the myth. We're going to be talking about everything Tesla. Why? Because we're... Talking. 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 Talking Tesla. Hey, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, sort of breaking news right here. Before we send this podcast off for mastering, um, I just watched the SpaceX launch. So the Falcon 9 rocket, it deployed, it went all the way up into a low Earth orbit. It deployed all its little satellites, and the first stage of that rocket came back to Earth and landed upright, didn't explode, went fantastically. This is really, really an incredible feat. It's just stunning that a private company of all people have been able to do this. And this is going to reduce the cost of sending satellites into space and ultimately Mars by an enormous factor. So congratulations to SpaceX and all of those engineers and people involved and to Elon Musk. It was really an amazing thing to watch. Sort of been likened in terms of difficulty, uh, like taking a pencil and firing it over the Empire State Building all the way to the other side and then back again and landing that pencil upright. I mean, that is what we're talking about here. Just Wonderful. Nice work. Before we get into this uh, episode, I just wanted to say thank you for myself and for Tom for listening to the show. Uh, it's been a lot of fun putting it together, but we just want to be part of the discussion about you know what's happening with electric cars and renewable energy. And it's just nice that so many of you have jumped on board. So again, to all of you that listen and have subscribed, thanks so much. You know, you can help out by just going on to iTunes and uh, leaving us a rating, leaving a comment that really helps us. But again, have a safe holiday season, and we'll probably take a couple of weeks off and talk to you early in the new year. We've got some great ideas about how to improve the show, but again, just thanks for listening. So let's get into this show, and we'll start off with Tom criticizing the name of this episode. Thanks, Tom. Thousand Mile Battery episode? Stupid name. That's not what it's called. The Thousand Mile Battery, that's, <laughs> that is what you do to get eyeballs. <laughs> Uh, that is what that is the about. The thousand mile battery. So Tom was telling me a little story about the fact that he is going to get a Model S secondhand. Actually, his wife is. And uh, it's a great story, except the audio got all screwed up. But let's jump back into the story at this point here. And there's a lot of them out there. You know, I'm trying to get her to buy one in Chicago so I can fly out there and drive it home. Oh, yeah, yeah baby. Yeah. So right now we're looking for a, an early year... Model S. We're looking for an 85. Uh, for some crazy reason, she's like looking at them with the big panoramic roofs. And I'm like, that's a very bad idea. It's hot in the valley. The sun beats down on you. There's no way to close that thing. And I've heard anecdotally that they, it makes the car much, much hotter internally. Anecdotally. So, there is no actual evidence for that statement. No. So, well, somebody told me that they <laughs> had that and it makes the car very hot inside. Okay. Not so. Is that not anecdotally? Yeah, that's anecdotally. That's very anecdotally. <laughs> that is an anecdote. I felt like I used it properly and then was ridiculed by you. No, I was ridiculing the science behind the anecdote, <laughs> not the, the anecdote. The, the science behind the anecdote. You do not have the panoramic roof. No, I do not. Why? Because that... it was like five grand more. <laughs> everything was five it's grand all, more. But... Everything is five grand on the Tesla website. Do you want that? Five grand. So the interesting thing about it is that there are – this one woman in particular is responding to us very much like any used car dealer would. We were like, hey, we're looking for these cars in the 50 to 55 range and 85 with these features. And she continuously sends us emails for $80,000 demos. Yeah. 
that they're trying to sell us. Yeah. What, what's it going to take to get uh, you into the car today? Right. What what's it's going to take, take is we want this car. Can you tell us some information about this? So this is how it goes. We email her. She's like, I found this really cool car that's $83,000. I'm like, if I had $83,000, I'd be driving the X, woman. What the hell is wrong with you? Like, is this the official Tesla site? Yeah, this is on, so on the official Tesla website, but this is a woman in our local Tesla store that we went in to deal with because we were told that they have access to additional inventory. That is not on the website. That additional inventory they do have access to are demo models all over the country. Mm. So there's some there. Mm. There's some at the service center, which I think is where they keep most of them. And we've talked about this for a long time now, and I feel like you're rolling your eyes in the back of your head already. But I found it to be very interesting in this one aspect of my Tesla. Eyes are in the front of my head. They're acting they're acting like any car dealer. So, so you're upset. You're just thinking that they're the same as every other car. Right. In that case, dealer. in that particular case, yes. So but but, and the other part about it is we're looking for a car in the 2013, 2014 realm, it looks yeah. like, with probably without autopilot is yeah. my guess because that's about the price range that we're, we need, yeah. a, a very specific low low price range <laughs> to make this work for us. And they're just – they're not they're not that many of them, A, and she's just not – she's not playing ball with us. Those are the years that are having that issue with the, the drive. drive. The drive, the drive train. train, right? So, shall so, we skip ahead and talk about so that? So that's it. I mean, it's interesting to me in that sense. Is like, is that something I'm going to have to worry about? I don't think so because they're going to give me some additional warranty. So if it happens, it'll probably happen under warranty. But do you think it's big enough now that even out of warranty, they're going to be fixing those? I would think so because it's going to be bad public relations now that they've fessed up. So here's a story from the San Francisco CBS local, which is two thirds of um, Tesla drivetrains fail by 60,000 miles. Two-thirds. That's a huge number. That's um, one-third more than one-third. And uh, quick math on that. Um, that's a one-third less than all of them also. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> and so this is actually based on 400 or so sort of uh, reports. Yeah. And Anecdotal. Anec- anecdotals. <laughs> <laughs> but it seems that they fail a lot. Like I said, I had the issue where mine yeah. started to make the noise. This is supposed to be for earlier model cars. Mm-hmm. And they just sort of did something magic to it. They're replacing them, they say, before they fail. So it was initially reported as they're failing, but now they're saying, like, when it looks like it's about to fail, we fix it so it's not like we're leaving you out there. But right. that's a lot of drive failures. It's supposedly fixed. But, yeah, if you're buying a second-hand Tesla of that, uh, of that ilk, you would want to be sure that they're going to, um, you know, Honor replace that. that. Yeah. Um, let's talk about our interview with uh, Dan Steingart. So oh. here is Dan. I'm Dan Steingart. Uh, I'm an assistant professor at Princeton in the Department of Mechanical and Aerospace Engineering and the Anlinger Center for Energy and the Environment. So I asked Dan a difficult question. Look, look, we keep hearing about these new battery technologies, graphene, nanotechnology, superconductors. So I asked him, you know, what are the theoretical limits here? Which is the best technology going forward? That's a really tough question. I, I'm really biased here. The The great things about batteries as, as an engineer is that you can pin the tail on, on what the best you can do is pretty well. I can look at the periodic table, right? And that's what my canvas is. And I want something that is very reactive and very light. The, all I have to do is look at the second row of the periodic table and all the way on the left is lithium and all the way on the right is fluorine. You know, the best you can do is some battery that enables you to use pure lithium and pure fluorine. And if we could do that and have nothing else, then we can have on the order of maybe a 1,000-mile car. 
fluorine's really dangerous stuff, and lithium isn't so great without a great cage. So we have to engineer it, and we have to save it from itself, right? So in a perfect world where the safety factor didn't matter at all, and nothing could blow up, we'd have lithium, lithium and fluorine. But because lithium and fluorine are so energy dense, it also kind of makes it really dangerous. So the real breakthrough of the lithium-ion battery was the ability to harness lithium and recharge it in a way that is shockingly safe. You know, there's a lot of fear, uncertainty, and doubt about, you know, whether you're going to have battery fires or not. And one has to be very careful when handling such an energy-dense thing. But that a lithium-ion battery works at all is a real testament to significant amounts of of, uh, engineering over 20, 30 years before the first lithium-ion battery came out. Where it could go, well, you know, so here your Tesla gets 250 to 300 miles. And I told you of this battery that's asymptotically at roughly a thousand miles based, you know, and again, this is based on the weight of the car, all that stuff. But, and here's the big but. The increments aren't, aren't going to be great. And here's why I don't think the increments are going to be great. If you look at the energy density of, of an 18650, the core cell that's in a Tesla, and then you look at the actual energy density of the entire Tesla battery pack, it's about a quarter to a third, roughly, of what the cell could give you. In order to make the Tesla car safe and reliable and have the cells be rechargeable and guaranteed for eight years and 125,000 miles, the battery already has to be derated. So if there was a way to take existing chemistries and utilize all that energy in a safer manner, packing the cells closer together, not having to spend so much on cooling, so much weight and volume on cooling, you could get more batteries into the same space within the battery pack and improve your range that way. Okay, so why don't you guys just do that? Shove a whole bunch more lithium and batteries together. Give me more range. Give it to me. This is a super hard problem. Cells generate a lot of heat, even when they operate as efficiently as they can. That mass of cells compressed in such a small space generates a lot of heat. Uh, if your listeners are familiar with the concept of, of heat capacity, right? So heat capacity tells us how much energy has to go into a body of stuff to raise its temperature by a certain amount. And the catch-22 of batteries and range and energy density is that the more energy you put into a given amount of space, the hotter it can get if something goes horribly wrong. Uh, and this is a, something called thermal runaway. If we made the Tesla battery as dense, as energy dense as the, today's chemistry would allow it to be, it would be really unsafe. It would get it would get way too hot, and you would see many, 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 many more battery fires. So there's the problem: heat generation. Ah, eh, there's always something. So theoretically, actually, right now you could go out to your Tesla, and if you took off all of the restraints that are put on there electronically, you could probably get a thousand miles out of your battery right now, at the risk of burning to death. Given a closed system where, where mass can't enter or leave the battery, you know, we have to choose as engineers and consumers between range and safety right now. And I think that we're making the right choice around safety. But do not fear. All is not lost. There is great hope, actually, with just a few tweaks. 
there's certain things that are happening in the field that allow the battery to operate in a more energy dense configuration in a safer matter. And these are being actively researched by uh, many of my colleagues. These include removing flammable components of lithium ion battery. Right now, the electrolyte is an organic that's quite flammable. And if we can replace this with a, a non-volatile liquid or even a solid system, and there are a few companies that are pursuing solid electrolytes, this would allow us to better utilize the energy storage materials we have now. We would still have to make sure they didn't overheat, but it would not be so quick to go into thermal runaway. On that point, actually, Clean Technia has an article from September, which is a report from Bosch that says that they are going to have a battery, solid-state lithium, which will double the energy density and reduce the price substantially. They're really doubling down. They're a big company, a lot of cash, and they say within five years they'll be up in production and making these solid-state lithium batteries twice the energy density and half the price, or less price than we pay right now. That would be cool. Other things that we can do are, are instead of packing all the batteries into a single spot where that heat can build up and it's hard for it to get out, we can spread the battery around the car. So there are government programs, and, and my lab was funded by one of these, that seek to put the battery into the panels, the outside panels of cars, and into the structure of a car so that it can be more spread out and it's easier to cool. And if it's easier to cool, you can pack a little bit more all around. It also does neat things to, to the weight distribution of the system. And I think there's a lot of clever things that can happen there. But remember, all we're doing when we do that is we're not really improving the energy density of the given material. Rather, we're utilizing what's available at an engineering scale. So when we talk about using pure lithium instead of lithium ion, the question I always ask my students and my colleagues is like, why are we going for this energy density target for the cell level for cars and stationary storage when we can't even use it all, we have to build these systems around it. We have to effectively derate that capacity to make the battery safer and last longer. I think the real thing that's going to happen to make cars have significantly more range is a radical redesign of what the battery looks like and where the battery is on a car. I think if you can put the battery in the bumper, in the doors of the car, and design the battery such that on impact it doesn't blow up, and this seems counterintuitive, but I've seen really nice examples of how this might be possible, then you can really get the capacity up. It's much easier to do that than to invent a brand new material, because when you invent that brand new material, let's say we have a material and that material stores this much more energy, we often get into a situation where the energy is very difficult to get out quickly. So just because we're storing all this energy doesn't mean that we can access that energy all at once or fast enough. And this is where nanotechnology comes into play. Nanotechnology, more than anything else, increases the power density of a battery, how quickly we can get energy in and out of the cell. Batteries for time immemorial have been acting at the atomic scale, right? A bond is broken and reformed to release and, and store energy within a battery. Nanotechnology has made those bonds more accessible and more rationally structured. Before we were slapping stuff together and hoping it worked, and now we're tailoring the particles at a submicron scale to make that happen. So the way I see it is that using nanotechnology to improve the power density, and this is how fast we can charge and discharge the battery, and then making the batteries at a macroscopic scale safer through the use of new kinds of electrolytes and safer in the sense that we're not concentrating all the energy in one spot will make us able to have cars that go uh, longer distances. Your take-homes. Just give us a couple of quick take-homes from that interview. Dan said a lot of words 
That's, uh, that's how interviews physics. typically go, right? There was, there was some, some science. Physics, and I'm not sure I picked all up, it all up, but right. here's what I got. The, my car right now probably could get a 1,000 miles range right now, except the chance of it exploding <laughs> into fire right. would be increased substantially. As it's configured, it has the capabilities potentially to put a lot more energy into it. My take-homes were they just need to figure out a, a better cooling situation so they can make this happen. But the interesting thing was – so we are now currently living in a time where 1,000-mile range is not – is theoretically – not even theoretically possible, but it's actually possible. Like we could charge that bad boy up to 1,000 miles and – you know, roll the dice with our lives. <laughs> yeah. Potentially. Let's do it. Right? So that means that the issue is they got to figure out how to cool them without using too much electricity. However, why don't they just use 200 miles of that electricity? <laughs> and give you an 800 mile yeah, give me an 800 mile range. Like, what are they doing? I love the idea of the batteries being dispersed about the car. Yes. However, the difference between how that like some of the big sales things that Elon always talks about is the low center of gravity, right? So that would take that away, make it if you had them in the roof. If I lived in like uh Sweden or Norway or someplace really cold, I'd be like, "Hey, can you guys turn the safety things up cuz I want some rain, it's, baby." It is chilly. It's chilly and I need another five. Like Arctic range. Circle Tesla 1000 mile range. I think we're getting back to what we talked about months ago, which is basically just drag the battery behind you. Just, <laughs> just have your car and then drag the battery behind you. So if it bursts into flames, you can just jettison it. Or you put the battery like on an ice block and just, right. just drag that with you. We're not engineers. No, that doesn't seem very efficient. So Use that was energy. It was interesting. You, you wanted to give us an update of your, your giant solar city factory that you found. Last episode, you just I found, found it. it. You just found, I found it. I was I was searching through Google Earth, and I was like, "What is this giant factory <laughs> thing?" Oh, it's a it's a solar factory. Yeah, I can give you an update on that. They are building it. It's moving forward, finishing the factory by October, and Solar City will start putting their equipment inside by early 2016, and spend most of 2016 working out the kinks and full production. By the first quarter of 2017. Now, since this is an Elon Musk company, that means 2019 or 2020. Um, <laughs> no, his cousin's still, running. Oh, fun. his cousin's running this one, so it's probably anyway. It's going to have a huge capacity. It's going to be one of the biggest solar manufacturing plants in the world. This was from the New York Times. It said, and this is stunning: residential costs of solar have dropped by 45 percent since 2010. Utility scale have dropped even more significantly. Recently, prices are down to five cents per kilowatt hour. So that is a huge decline. There's a few good things about that. The price of this is getting lower and lower. And in fact, it's now getting to the point where generating electricity from solar is going to be less than coal. And in some places, it already is. That's amazing. There's a downside, though. What's the downside to, to what? The downside to solar? I bought $30,000 worth of solar about five years ago. Uh-huh. Should have bought it this year. Would have been half the price. Know what I'm saying? What does this mean if solar prices keep coming down? Should you buy your solar system? Should you lease your solar system? Or is it just like a car? You just have to suck it up and say, look, I know that the price of this thing is going to go down as soon as I buy it. I still like the idea of just buying my solar panels and be done because I've got the lease and I've got a bought one. And I don't like paying every month. It's psychological. Is your lease through Solar City? Yeah. Why didn't you do the prepaid thing? No, they didn't really give me it as an option. I wasn't thinking straight. I was, there was some drinking. You should have. You, you need to call me a little more often. So let's go back and talk about subsidies, shall we? Subsidies have come up in this program a number of times. And on VanityFair.com, you can see a big, long interview that Elon Musk had. 
And in this uh, interview, which I really suggest you go to the show notes and you listen to the whole hour, he talks about subsidies and why he doesn't think they're as big a deal as many of us think they are. Here's Elon. I should, at some point, I should probably write a rebuttal because there was like a nonsensical uh, LA Times article from which a lot of this stems. Um, because what, what the LA Times article did was add up um, all incentives that Tesla has received and all intent, incentives that Tesla will receive. So like over a 30-year period and made it, uh, made it sound like a big number. Um, but it's, you know, um, like if somebody's earning $50,000 a year, you don't say, you don't call them a millionaire because over the next 20 years they will cumulatively earn a million dollars. But that's effectively what that article uh, did. Um, the incentives, I think, for, for Tesla and SolarCity, what they really do is balance out the, um, the, the, the actual and de facto incentives that carbon-producing um, activities have. So, and I don't think they actually balance it out. So the carbon-producing activities still sort of overwhelm um, the incentives that electric cars and solar receives. I mean, for example... There's a 20% um, tax incentive for a stripper oil well. Um, like, and the, the incentive for solar is currently 30%, but dropping to 10% uh, in two years. Right. So the, you know, in two years, the incentive for solar power will be half that of a stripper oil well. Right. So, you know, uh, and, and SpaceX made it in, in, in spite of Boeing and Lockheed receiving a billion dollar plus uh, subsidy for the launch activities. So I think in the case of SpaceX, it was sort of success in spite of incentives. Uh, and in the case of SolarCity and Tesla, it was the incentives were, you know, moderately helpful, but not, not the deciding factor. They're, they're, they're a catalyst. They made things happen a little faster than they would otherwise happen. But, um, you know, you look at something like the, like the, the, there's a $7,500 tax credit for, uh, EVs. Um, okay, so that ends up being a 10% uh, discount that the consumer receives for buying the car. It, it's not like night and day different. Now, here's another story, which is, uh, there is a, this is from Fortune. Vermont Utility is selling Tesla home batteries, but why? Did they not listen to the show in Vermont? Now, uh-huh. you don't like them. I don't think that they're going to be cost effective. So that is the question, why? And why? they said, here are the reasons that... This utility is actually going to buy them for homes. Okay. Is because one, they have a very uh, progressive CEO, Mary Powell, who's very smart, very tech savvy. And because of that, she wants to bring in smart grid technology to the people that they are supplying the energy to. The Vermonters. And these batteries will help them with that, with their load, being able to turn on and off load using these batteries in a smart grid-like manner. Interesting. And they also have a lot of storms and crap there, and so they're looking for some temporary backup that's not all just relying on the utility, but distributed backup. And they thought, hey, the Tesla battery is the best way to do that. We're going to stick these in houses, smart grid, backups. It's going to be all good times because she's smart lady. Are they? Did they say like how they were going to install them? Are they going to install multiple ones, one of each? The like the long term and the short term. They versions did not of say. Them? They're making it sound like when uh, uh, they're going to come over to your house and go, Tom. Hello. Uh, uh, oh, it's Vermont m- Power. Come on in. Do you, Do you mind if uh, we install a Tesla battery? I'm going to make it pretty cheap for you. You're going to You're going to do well in this. Uh, uh, if you don't, uh, I'll break your fingers. <laughs> I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't know how they're going to do it. That's not what Vermont is doing. No. Well, that's that's not, it's a garden state? No. City of coal? 
<laughs> What's <laughs> Vermonters? I don't know. Live free or die? No, that's not them either. I don't know. I don't know. They got they got something going on. Okay, here we go. Next one. Ford spending cash on higher electric cars. So this is from Market Watch. Ford Motor Company said Thursday that it plans to roll out a more capable electric version of the Ford Focus, which is sort of their flagship electric car right now. It gets about seventy miles. They plan on getting it up to a hundred miles in the next uh, short while. And at the same time, develop a whole series of new electric cars to compete with Tesla and GM, especially in the range department, which is now in the 200 to 300 mile uh, area. Yeah. That means uh, over the next four years, they're going to drop $4.5 billion, with a B, dollars into uh, developing better electric cars. Four before. years. That's a billion, more than a billion a year. That's pretty good. They're a little bit behind. I wonder where they're going to get their batteries. Oh, probably from uh, Elon. Everybody's going to get them from Elon. I don't think so. I think Elon's trying to fill his own orders at this point. That's true. And since you're talking about getting yourself a secondhand Tesla, I've got a little note here from Teslarati. Rob M. of Teslarati, you sent me this one about should you buy the extended service warranty. Now, there's too much that's too dense to go into detail about this thing. From any company or from Tesla specifically? From Tesla specifically. So this guy, Rob M., he has a Model S. He's got uh, lots of miles on it. He puts a lot of miles on. He does yeah. about 3,000 miles a month. I don't know where he's driving. And Fine. so the question he asked himself is, should I buy the extended service warranty? It's $4,000 and basically covers de- defects in sort of um, their parts. It doesn't do wear and tear or anything like that. And even under the extended service warranty, which costs $4,000, if there's a broken part, you still have to pay 200 bucks to get that part fixed. So it's not like a There's complete, like a deductible or yeah, whatever, which I think is actually kind of bullshit. It's kind of weird, actually. So he goes through and says, you know, since the base warranty on a S is for eight years and or infinite number of miles, depending on how many miles you want to try and put on in eight years, the battery and the drivetrain is covered. This extra warranty for him, it's not worth it. And uh, he makes a good argument for it being not worth it. For him, it. it's not because he does so many thousands of miles or whatever. And he said... Uh, you can quote him. Uh, the last line you noted was your favorite part. Last line of the article. Rob M says instead of spending $4,000 on an extended warranty, he's going to invest in Tesla, which we all should have done with Tesla and Apple. And although, you know, we've had some issues this year with Apple stock, but that's okay. That's a different show. So um, if you're thinking about the extended service yeah. warranty, I suggest you go to Tesla Ready and read that uh, article. It is now, actually I bought well the extended service warranty when I bought the RAV4. Uh-huh. I got eight years, 125,000 miles. So for me, you know, I'm going to be probably use that up to the eight-year life of the car. And for him, again, it doesn't make sense to do it. And my guess is because it's a Tesla, like like a lot of things they're just going to cover, like major things, they're probably going to take care of them. Let's talk about Hyperloop for one second. Um, the Hyperloop. Moving there's a, forward. There's couple, two groups, two yeah. big groups that I know about, but yeah. one of them is actually here in LA. They have a design center in downtown LA. Did you yeah. know that? I, I, well, district? I knew it after I read the, the article about it. Yeah, and, I mean, um, it's pretty cool. I actually think we should try to get in there. So I was thinking, Tom, I think we need to get in the Tesla and drive down there and see if we can get a little look around, a little looky-loo. So maybe to see if they're making it big enough to put the hyper, the, the Tesla in the Hyperloop tube. I'm excited about taking my Tesla, driving it down to the Tesla Loop in downtown LA. Yeah. Getting fired to Vegas at 700 miles an hour. Boom. And then just driving out the other end. So I'm in Vegas with my car and the whole in trip took Tesla. like 20 minutes. That'd be sweet. And you wouldn't even need to supercharge on the way. No. Thing. I don't think it's going to be that big. To be honest with you, I think you're going to have to get inside of a little round pod. I'm not getting in it. But for again, a I, I still think like the first one that 
is being built right now, their idea is again to use it to move materials yeah. as opposed to people. And, and I think that sense. is going to be huge. Yeah, we talked about it before. Uh, you can go at a thousand miles an hour, but uh, it's going to make a lot of people anxious. But you can stick my my Amazon crap in there and fire it at yeah. a thousand miles an hour. If that Send thing blows away. up, what do I care? Right. Send yeah. me another one. <laughs> Send me two more. Like it's just shoe cream. <laughs> <laughs> you have shoe cream? Well, I like to polish your shoes. Oh, I like to shine your shoes. I like toe jam or something. Let's talk about artificial intelligence. You don't hear a lot of that on this program. <laughs> no, you artificial hear, or actual artificial unintelligence. You hear a lot of that. We have got we've got that in spades, as it were. So Vanity Fair and Tech Insider and lots of people are uh, quoting Elon, saying, "I'm really anxious about artificial intelligence." But he's done this kind of weird thing where he's now invested in this nonprofit company, open source nonprofit company, which seems to be its job is basically to. Um, make sure that artificial intelligence doesn't turn evil. Yes, it's been you know stated multiple times that Elon's really worried about artificial intelligence. But again, let's go back to that Vanity Fair interview and hear what both Elon has to say and the president of Y Combinator, uh, Sam Altman, when asked by somebody in the crowd about what is the upside to artificial intelligence? Is there a future where there isn't Terminators and this could work out for us? Yeah, I, I think, look, there is a really positive vision here, right? I, I think there are, the science fiction version is either that we enslave it or it enslaves us, but there's this uh, happy symbiotic vision, which I don't think is the default case, but what we should work towards. I think already um, humans and AI are co-evolving and no one's paid attention to this yet, but I don't think there's any human left that understands all of how Google search results are ranked on that first page. It really is machine learning algorithms. So when we search on Google, it's an AI deciding what we should see. Um, when a dating site matches two people together, there's a machine learning algorithm that no human understands how it works that is getting people together that then have babies. And so in effect, you know, you have this like machine learning algorithm breeding humans. And so really, I mean, you do. Um, and so there's this, and then, you know, those people like work on the algorithms later. And so I think the happy vision of the future is sort of humans and AI in a symbiotic relationship, distributed AI where it's sort of, empowers a lot of different individuals, not this single AI that kind of governs everything that we all do that's, you know, a million times smarter, a billion times smarter than any other entity. So I think that's what we should work towards. Um, I agree with what Sam said. Um, I mean, we are effectively already a human-machine collective symbiote. Um, like, there's, like we're like a, like a giant cyborg. Um, that, that's actually what society is today. Um, you know, but but I'm mean, sort of obviously I mean I have an affinity for the human portion of that cyborg collective, um, and um, I think I do think we need to be careful about the development of AI and make sure it is ultimately beneficial to humanity that it's uh, that that the future is good. Let's finish this thing with uh-huh. a fun fact. Tom, the fun, fact, fun fact: We're not going to do the SpaceX test situation. Oh well. You know, I'm going to add that later because tomorrow they're going to fire it off. And if it works, I'll add it. Awesome. That's going to be cool. So here's your fun fact. And we're going to end with this. In 1995, Elon Musk went to Stanford University to pursue his Ph.D. in energy physics. He was there for how many days, Mel? Do you know? Do you have any idea how many days he attended Stanford University? Energy physics is going to be – it's going to be a five or six-year program. So he's probably there for like 1,500 days. (laughs) No. Two days. Uh. He attended. Was he cramming? I mean, yeah. that's, he's smart, <laughs> he's but he's not that smart. He's very smart. No, he got there. He founded his first company 
while he was there in two days, which is an impressive 48 hours really for anyone. Really? The Zip2 Corporation, which provided online content publishing software for news organizations. Thanks, Elon. That's how we get the info for this show is my guess, right? Four years later, this company was sold to Compact for $307 million in cash and $34 million in stock options. And Elon got how much out of that? $22 million. So he spent two days at Stanford and made $22 million. That's more than the professors are making, I think. I have applied for Stanford, <laughs> just have, in case any people are wondering. I'm going to see. I only need to actually, for me, my number, I need to be at Stanford about an hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> and I'll be, and I'll then be I'm good. gone. And I'm out. So, so I mean, you know. Go mighty trees or whatever the hell you people so are. So then he had uh, <laughs> he had PayPal and then by the age of twenty eight, Tom, yeah. he was worth a billion dollars. No, how much were no, you not worth by twenty eight? No, he was a millionaire by twenty eight. PayPal came oh. after this. Oh, well, he was a billionaire just, a few years later. That's upset. He was probably like thirty two or thirty three. I don't that's, know. That's sad. How how much how rich was I when I was twenty eight? Yeah, carry the floor. I think I might have had nine grand. That's, Is that less? That's less than a million. It's less than millions. 22 million. 22 of the millions. We, could, we should work out how much that is per second he spent at Stanford. So, you know, you send your kids, you want them to grow up and go to college <laughs> and do good things. My guess is he didn't really have to go to Stanford to do this. No, it was just he was going to Stanford, but he was at the same time. Like, how do you think it worked? Like, his parents were dropping him off in front, and <laughs> he had, like, his duffel bag and, like, his rolled-up mattress <laughs> under the other hand, and he was kind of nervous and, and awkward and wondering, like, am I going to have any friends? Is that how it works when you go into a PhD program? <laughs> I don't know. I haven't been into an energy PhD program no? at Stanford. Never? And neither is he. No. Oh, that's true. I mean, he got in. What do you think? He probably spent more time on the application and the essay <laughs> to get into that PhD program than he did in the program. Like, do you think he went to class? Even no, <laughs> he didn't do anything. <laughs> he had other plans. Awesome. We love Elon. We really do. Watch that Vanity Fair interview. It's people. so good. It's Watch so it. good. Not going to happen. Are you hey, sure? You have a good holiday. You too, buddy. Happy holidays. You're going holidays. to be in town for the holidays? No, I'm going to a little place called Australia. Are you going to drive a right-handed sided Tesla when you get there? Uh, no. You I've, should do that. There's an old crappy red Datsun that is waiting for me at my aunt's house. It doesn't sound electric. It's not electric. It's not good. <laughs> you should rent a Tesla, right-hand drive there while you're there, just to I get should. a feel for it. Probably would cost a lot. Yeah, but you can write it off on this, the, all the cash we're pulling in on this podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The tens of dollars. The tens of dollars. <laughs> probably get a half day's rental out of it. <laughs> That's not true. We do this for you people, for the love of electricity and for the love of oxygen and the hatred, deep-seated hatred we have for carbon dioxide. I'm against it. Anti-dioxide. All of them. The dyes, the una, the trioxides, they can all bite me. Why? Because we're... Talking. 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 Talking.